Once again, it's time for the Weekly Curio. I'm the Whip Theater's Tom Britton. And I'm College of Curiosity's Jeff Wagg. We begin, as we do every week, with the first half of our puzzle. Frank borrows a leather coat from his friend and wears it everywhere for a month. He gets a call from his friend who wants it back. He'll be over in five minutes because he has a hot date. But the coat is pretty worn looking and Frank is embarrassed. Quickly, he runs to the kitchen and by the time his friend gets there, the coat looks like new. What did Frank do? And now it's time for everyone to learn a little something about our home country. Here are the extreme... I love that. It's so American. Extreme. Extreme points of America. And they just mean, what's the easternmost, northernmost, southernmost, etc. piece of the U.S.? Extreme. Yeah, it's always, you know, everything here is extreme. (laughs) Extreme (laughs) dynasty. Geography dynasty. Geography dynasty. (laughs) Oh, just gunshot. Yeah. (laughs) The geography dynasty. So what what do you think? What what is the easternmost point of the U.S.? Someplace in Maine? Well, that is one of the answers. Ding, ding, ding. But I said answers uh, because the question, it turns out, isn't quite that simple. So East Point, Maine. If you go up to right Maine, there in the name. If you, it's a, right there. yeah, it's East Point. All right. If you go all the way up to Maine, as far east as you can go in Maine, you will encounter East Point, Maine, and it is indeed the easternmost point in the continental United States. Oh wait, where's Granada? Ah, you're you're thinking closer, but there's some place further east than that, and what, that is Saint Croix. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah. do we do we own a bit of the Philippines? Yeah, or something? Well, well, so then there's Guam, right? So right. Yeah, American Samoa, are they in the east? And if you look, Alaska has this little piece that sticks over, and it's actually so far west it's east. Oh so man. It Between gets, the the remnants of colonialism. It's complicated. And Alaska being the size of a small planet. And so it's this article. You know, Wikipedia, we've talked about this before, but Wikipedia isn't just like you know, Benjamin Franklin and stories about him, they have these interesting lists of things. And one of them they have is, you know, extreme points in the United States. So you'd think there'd be four, north, south, east, west. No, there's hundreds. Uh, For example, the northernmost point in the U.S. Well, there's Point Barrow, Alaska. That's one. And if you look at a map of Alaska. I've been there. They brag about that. You've been there? Yeah. Have you you seriously been there? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's pretty far north. It's crazy. There's nothing there. <laughs> that's why they brag north, about it. There's northness. There's not, that's it. Yeah, but uh, but it doesn't really count because its population is so small that it's not really a place. So then Fairbanks also claims the title. Yeah, if but, you can get to North Bear, though, the little snowmobile ride out is like 25 bucks. <laughs> so it's not a lot to see, but it's also not expensive. You ride yeah. out, they go, there it is. Okay, get back on the snowmobile. Well, I, w- I would totally go there. Uh, Seattle also makes it as the northernmost city of 500,000. So it's it's all yeah. Northern Point Bear Mo- is just a stick in the snow. See, that's the thing. And some people say, well, that doesn't count. And, nobody living there. And so you always have to add a qualifier: northernmost incorporated village, northernmost city, northernmost piece of dry yeah, land. Northernmost lawyer got paid extra to make us the city northernmost. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Bellingham, Washington, is the northernmost city of more than fifty thousand residents in the forty-eight contiguous states. I mean, you know. People are really stretching it just to try to get that name on there somehow. Because for some reason, being the most southeast, west, whatever, is important. Or I guess something. if you have no tourist trap. <laughs> you know, like the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota becomes something yeah, your city right. could do for very little money. And then, yeah, you're the most left-handed, six-foot-tall lesbians named Shelly in the contiguous United States. Yeah. Well, right now, the westernmost point is Guam. 
So uh, Guam is the most west, even though we kind of think of that as the east. It all depends on where it falls in the international date line. I think they're using that as the line between east and west. I'll be crossing that in a few weeks, so at some Wouldn't point... Wouldn't Alaska then have, like, this part is the furthest See, west, and right. this part's the furthest east? Yeah, there's right that... Right here, you jump back and forth. There's that extreme part of Alaska out there that, sure enough, could be considered that. Uh, Hawaii also is considered, but Oregon is, too. Oregon is the westernmost geographic center of the 48 states, because if you look at the map, Washington dips in a little bit towards the east. So it's interesting. These questions, they seem like a very simple question, but they're actually very complicated. Who else has this problem? Russia has this problem. Oh, yeah. Any any large country that crosses China probably has it. Australia uh, wouldn't, though. They're all in their contained. They're southernmost. giant, but right? Well, it depends on, you know, we have territories that screws things up. Right. Like Guam yeah, and, colonialism messes Right. Up. You know, Tasmania is actually part of Australia. England so has this problem, though, because they have the yeah. Falklands. Yeah. And then what? It, the Britain. English, what? There's the, the Empire, the Commonwealth, the, you know, I mean, what? Oh, theirs is even more convoluted. It's, yeah, you're there's right. Different levels of how British you are. You know, you go to Canada, the Queen's on their money, but yeah. is Canada part of the United Kingdom? No. But it's as much as Guam is the part of ours. Right? Well, no, or no, it's different. Yeah, Guam is actually their subject of our federal government. Okay. So um, they don't have any states' rights. They're self-governing, but we can the state, the federal government, of the United States controls Guam because they have an airstrip, basically. So, uh, so yeah, it's a kind of an interesting thing. So, uh, if you go down to the end of Key West and you'll see there's a big sign, you know, um, southernmost point of the U.S. Well, 19 po- miles to Cuba. Yeah, it's, it it's 90, but yeah. 90, uh, 90. But I've gone way too far. Uh, Puerto, Re- Puerto Rico, I promise you, is south of, of Key West. So, uh, you know, you have to do some research. And again, from Wikipedia, we find the terror of the killer tree. This, this is real. I, I've seen this tree. It's real. It lives in the United States. And it really does want to kill you. And I'm not talking about you have a nut allergy and you actually eat a, accidentally eat a pecan or something like that. No. Let me tell you about the manchineel tree. Now, that's spelled exactly like it sounds. Man, chin, eel. And it's a not unassuming plant. It uh, has very typical green leaves. They look, you know, little teardrop leaves, just like any other subtropical plant you'd find. Yeah, in fact, it's a rather boring looking yeah. plant, really. It's it doesn't have teeth, doesn't have vines, you know. <laughs> doesn't yell, feed me no. Seymour every six hours. No, instead it kills you subtly. Um, it has these fruits. With guilt, with crushing with guilt, guilt, guilt and disappointment. <laughs> it's here. a Catholic tree. <laughs> That's what you're doing with your life? You're like, come on, Machineal, <laughs> leave me alone. That's it. That's what. That's the best you can. Okay, fine, whatever. And then you go over and pick one of its apples. So the, the tree has apples. Uh, Manchineal is a, a bastardization of a Spanish word of men, menzilla or something that means little apple tree. But every single part of this tree is toxic, and it's so toxic that strange things will get you. All right, so you eat the apple, you're pretty much going to be in big trouble. That is not that unexpected. But if you burn the leaves, the smoke will blind you, and you're all done. If you put your hand on the... Well, blind you permanently. Permanently. Okay. Yeah, yeah, this isn't just smoke gets in your eyes. This is, no, your eyes have been burned out of your skull kind of poisoning. Wow. Um, if you put your hand, like you lean against the tree to tie your shoes, your hand will blister and peel and all your skin will come off your hand. This is the one that gets me. You're in Florida where these trees live and it starts to rain and you run under the nearest tree on the beach for shelter. Well, the rain coming through the tree's leaves absorbs the toxins and then covers you with the toxins causing your skin to blister and peel off. It's a crazy, crazy tree 
And it's actually not that uncommon in the Caribbean. And uh, this tree was used by the Calusas, who we mentioned, well, we'll mention next week, depending on how these weeks go. <laughs> Calusa <Yeah>. Indians. <laughs> we sometimes record out of order, actually. Yeah, sometimes. The Calusa Indians lived in uh, southern Florida before, Columbian, before Columbus got here, and uh, they used this tree to make poison. So they would ground Good. them. Good. Yeah. glad they did something with it. Well, they ki- it probably killed enough of them. At least they got a use out of it. <laughs> they killed Ponce de Leon with it. Uh, Ponce de Leon comes around there. And tries to come to Florida and says, hey, we've got Jesus, you primitive folks. And the primitive folks, they don't wait for him to get on land. They row out to his ships and start pelting him with arrows and spears. And one of them hits them. And so he crawls off and dies from poisoning from a manchineel tree. Now the Spanish call this manzanilla de la muerta. Yeah. The little mu- apple of death. The muerta is the, the key yeah, the point here. The muerta part's the bit to get you. <laughs> so you would think that, you know, in the post-agricultural age, people would have gotten rid of these trees, which is not easy. You can't actually safely cut one down and burn the wood. Because they run away and then hide <laughs> and then come back later and murder your family in vengeance. That's right. No, but it turns out they had, people actually planted these trees, not for safety or security, but because they're really good at keeping beaches from eroding. But... They also like tourists. So what they do is they will paint the trees with a big X. So if you're in the Caribbean, like if you're in Antigua and you see a nice looking tree on the beach with a big X on it, stay away. Uh, it, that X is there to tell you to go away. I like that it contains strong toxins, different toxins in different parts. Yes. Tree, root, leaf, yeah. apple, right? Some of them are unidentified. <laughs> now, that's one of those things like, well, has anyone tried to identify them? But, you know, no, I, they keep running away. And they keep <laughs> shooting you in the face. Everyone who's tried has died. Every scientist has been brutally <laughs> murdered by these trees. So, yeah, the manchineel. Uh, it's you, useful, though. Look, this thing's tough, so it doesn't uh-huh. kill you. It lives in the sand. It stabilizes the roots. Yep. It stands up to strong winds. It one time murdered a man for snoring too loud. <laughs> this tree, I see why they would, uh, why the Indians there would have used them, because once you know not to yeah. even look at it too closely in a distance, <laughs> once you've warned your children from the manchineel, then, yeah, it does do a lot to prevent beach erosion. It gives you a natural windbreak. Sure. Which is huge if you're trying to sleep or put yeah. a village or, or farm anything else. Won't hurt these things. Natural windbreak, and then it looks like once you plant it uh, by chucking it with gloved hands <laughs> into the sand, nothing else will bother it. That's Dogs right. won't dig it up. Animals won't get it. The rats yeah. that came off the boats that infested the islands from Europe would die from the manchineel. So it was a natural sort of barrier. You could set it and forget it. Yeah. Walk away. Nothing Tell your destroy kids, it. hey, don't touch that. Oh, okay. And then that's that. Uh, if you would like to visit a manchineel, if you'd like to go see one, you can do so safely from the comfort of a boat. If you go to Flamingo, I'm sorry, I keep calling it that. Uh, no, that's right. If you go to Flamingo, which is a city in Southern Florida, it's in the, it's in the Everglades. You have to go down Alligator Alley and drive for miles and miles. They have a boat tour there that'll take you into the Everglades and you can visit the Manchineel. Just don't touch. And don't taunt it. Do not taunt the Manchineel. Acquiring position. Downloading latest intro. Welcome back. So this that you're listening to here is this weird game. It's called Ingress, and a lot of people may have heard of it. It's um, it's from Google, actually. Google has made a game, and they're using the stuff they have on Google Maps and Google+, and it's an augmented reality game. So it works like this. Um, 
it's it's the current day and there's this secret substance that's leaking out of the earth that's called exotic matter and then two factions have formed there is the enlightened who want to take advantage of this exotic matter and make humanity better you know augment humanity then there's the resistance who's like no get that stuff out of here it's evil and you guys will fight over these portals of exotic matter and it's done in a in a fairly complex way but so okay how do you find you know, where are these portals? How did they do that? Well, they took famous places that are in, um, in Google Maps, and each one of those is a portal. So you and I walk by it without our app running, and we just see it. If you walk by it with this app, you see it as this portal spewing this exotic matter into the, into the sky. And you can place your own collectors or basically things that will stop the collectors, and then you fight over it with the app. And so I just tried this game on an island off the coast of Florida where I was the only one playing the game. So I was able to take over this whole island and all of these portals. Which side do you play on? Now, I play on the Enlightened because, hey, let's do something new. We've been humans long enough. You know, (laughs) let's try being something else. Uh, But uh, right now, the resistance is winning, so so the Enlightened could use your help. But it's actually an interesting idea that... um, This is, you know, we've come a long way from solitaire on your phone at this point. Pong. And in Pong, oh, yeah. It's, and this is what's really fun about this is you can take the game and go to a city, any city, and just turn it on. And suddenly everywhere around you is alive with this game. And you can walk down the street and go from place to place. And not only will you learn about historic things, like, for example, uh, there's a house that someone famous was born in. Oh, wait. So this is sneaking in some actual useful yes. information. Yes. Because that why, you go, why is that a portal? Oh, because Mark Twain was born there. Exactly. And, and there'll be a picture oh, of the house. See, I, thought and, I, yeah. I learned all kinds of stuff from World of Warcraft, but none of it applies in the real world. <laughs> right. Dungeons and Dragons taught me all kinds of stuff about the wyvern, but I can't yeah. really use it in the And sometimes world. you actually have to hunt for stuff. Like, yeah, it's not obvious. And its game is just out of beta. It still has a little bugs, a uh, few bugs. I, it, it, it made me tag something that was Mel Fisher's Atocha treasure, which I know for a fact was hundreds of miles away, but that's okay. Uh, you know, uh, it's still, it's, it's just try it out. It's free. It's available for iPhone and Android and you install it. And then suddenly, and, and by augmented reality, we have to be clear. You need to move. You can't just sit on your couch and play this. You need to go outside and move your phone around and it will show you things that are there in the game based on where you're looking. So, for example, we're in Chicago. The Sears Tower is one of these exotic matter generators. Of course. Of course, right. So as I turned my phone around, as I pointed to the Sears Tower, a little thing would come up, and it would show who owned it and what weapons it has and all this kind of stuff. You so, weaponized the Sears and Tower? You weapon- so, like, I'm the Enlightened, so I can weaponize the Sears Tower so that if any of the Resistance come by, they get shot and they lose their energy levels. Now, what if you're in Podunk, Illinois? Well, that's the interesting the thing. The gas station was once owned by Mel and right. still owned by Mel. And, of course, that was a problem for them because, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in the middle of Nebraska. Yeah, you want to be able to play the game. But you are because they have based this on people's pictures. So um, this isn't an official database of interesting places. It's places that people thought were interesting. So that oh. will adjust. So the largest ball of twine in Minnesota definitely is a portal. Be one. Right. It's, it's the most important things 
in your town, it basically. Scales. It scales. So I was gotcha. on this, this little island, Sanibel, Florida. Many people have heard of it. Uh, and there was a ton of stuff on Sanibel, like the post office, for example. But if you come to Chicago, the post office isn't going to be a portal. No, no, no. no because no. we've got the Sears Tower, the John Hancock Tower, the Art Institute, and so on and so forth. So you can play in rural areas. Um, not Does that make the well. game harder in rural areas, though? Because you have to find that cornfield where it, Debbie made out with Gary that one it's time? It's a different strategy. I mean, yes, you do have that problem. Because <laughs> that went all over Facebook, man. Everybody was talking about it. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because I got to play it in a fairly rural environment, and then I came to Chicago. In the rural environment, your challenge is distance. Um, you know, you'll have to go farther, but in city, you have a lot of people fighting oh, for your stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can be the only guy. You can be king of that cornfield yep. in Wisconsin right. forever. And then if someone's attacking it, you have time to fix it. So what I've noticed here is that the bus routes are complete all-out battlegrounds because people are playing on the bus. Oh man! Okay, just I gotta going get down the street. This is it's free. free. This this sounds amazing. And it's a like, total time sink. Well, but on the bus, who gives a crap? All well, the right. listening to our stupid podcast or someone else's stupid Absolutely. podcast. I could do both at the same time. So you yeah, so you go down and you you attack other people. They're called resonators, these things that mess with the exotic matter. And you attack theirs and you place your own. And then if there's some big and you can link them and make big links and then fields and So you join one of the other teams. Can yep. you have sub teams within there? Can we team up yes. and go attack something with a and, name? Like and in fact, this has gotten so big that they have international even competitions where in England, where it seems to be really big, teams of hundreds of people will spend the weekend scouring scouring England trying to battle over certain territories. Uh, it has become quite the social phenomenon, and I just found about it out about it in the U.S. like two weeks ago, but apparently overseas it's really big. Oh, I got to get on a team so, with some people out in Edison Park because yeah. I take the bus oh, yeah, there all right. the time. But you all have to be on the same side. That's the trick, you know. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, because you'll fight against each other. So if you're interested, just check it out. It's called Ingress. That's I-N-G-R-E-S-S. It's in the app stores, and uh, it doesn't need a crazy phone to work. I don't even think you need a camera on your phone. You will need a GPS, which I think most phones have. So a data now. plan also, and you have right. to turn on and, your GPS. And you have a data plan. And just so you know, it will suck your battery really fast. So, uh, you know, don't do this if you're on your way to work and you need to use your phone all day. But, uh, but it's a lot of fun, and it's just the beginning of what we're going to be able to do with some of this new technology. There is a phrase my grandfather actually used mm-hmm. that was about as dumb as a cement ship. <laughs> now, since he's from the South, it was cement. Cement, yeah. That's about as dumb as a cement ship. <laughs> well, you know. Turns it, out that's actually kind of smart. <laughs> it's smart. It's not so smart. So, um, you know, when there's a war on, uh, in the old, remember the old type of wars where people had to ration and, like, go without things? We haven't had one of those in a not long time. Not in this time. country. We haven't. Yeah, no. World War Two would World have been the last two, World War II, World War I. and all that. If you don't right. know America, we had Victory Gardens. We had Meatless Fridays. Yeah. Save your aluminum foil. That's right. And there were stamps to get butter and nylon stockings. And proper and, ration. So they also yeah. had that in England. Oh, yeah. And they Big had, time. Up until, like, the 50s, they had it in England. They took a while to get back. But, so it's World War One. Uh, the U.S. has entered the war. Uh, we're building ships like crazy, and we're running out of steel. But we still need more ships, and it takes a long time to make a ship out of wood. I mean, it, you know, it's even during World War One, we're not really anxious to build wooden warships or even wooden freighters. So what do we use? Well, somebody comes up with the brilliant idea of using concrete. Now, well, I guess if you can use iron, you can use concrete. That's it. You, you might think, hey, concrete doesn't float. Well, you know what? Steel doesn't float either. It's not 
the and not all wood that you and build not all ships wood out of right. You know, wooden ships sink. So clearly, what makes ships float isn't the material; it's the shape. And in fact, that's absolutely true. You can make a ship or a boat out of any material at all, as long as you can shape it to be more buoyant. Than In the, the water, modern you know, world, this doesn't sound dense. as crazy because I get on giant metal tubes that fly. Oh, right. Yeah. So in World War One, they're starting to get that where they're like, that plane is really big. The spruce goose and all yeah, that. Yeah, right. Yeah, that I guess huge. to us, it doesn't sound as crazy, too. but yeah, I, I, I guess to a rural American, little education, I say a, a yeah. dumb as a cement ship. Well, so Wilson, at the end of World War One, not knowing it was the end of World War One, he commissions 12 of these ships, freighters. And they're, they look like Those regular. Those are huge. Well, these were big. These weren't, these weren't rowboats. These are massive ships. I was picturing smaller oh, no, no, no. battleships like they would float in the uh, Vietnam. I was oh, picturing yeah, not smaller river boats. gunner boats, no. what are they called? These are freighters, wow. crews of a couple hundred people, full-size ships with steam, uh, steam engines in them. And uh, they were just made out of concrete rather than steel. So how do you do that? Well, you make a, a superstructure. You make a structure, and uh, basically you do it. It's a building. Think of how you build a building. You just build a building in the shape of a ship. And what you get is, first off, concrete is a hell of a lot less expensive than steel. You save an incredible amount of, amount of money during construction. And all right, it costs a little more to build the ship because it takes a while and you have to treat the concrete right. But then... But you need less skilled labor, too. You Pouring do. concrete is not as big of an artisanal thing Absolutely as right. building a steel or wooden, wooden especially. And... You don't need a special building. You don't need, you know, all you need is just men and some wet concrete. You know, you're forming this stuff. You can do it anywhere. And uh, we had the expertise to do this because we had been doing it for buildings. Yeah. So they do this and uh, the war ends. And then suddenly they have 12 of these ships. A dozen huge 200-man steam-powered warships, freighters. So the problem, there is a problem with concrete. This is why you don't see too many concrete ships today is that they're heavier and a lot of the space is eaten up by the concrete because in order for concrete to be as strong as steel, it needs to be something like 10 times thicker. So you don't have as much storage space inside. But, um, so the ships that were built in World War II, the SS Sapona is one, there were a bunch of them. Most of them served for a few years and then were turned into things like breakwaters. Um, And in fact, you can see a lot of these. They're all around, um, in England, in in the east coast of the U.S., there are a lot of ships that you can see. They're shipwrecks. A lot of them were put there on purpose, and they're actually concrete ships because they will last a lot longer than steel. But But they were put there... For divers or to be an artificial reef? Are, uh, the, uh, breakwaters usually. So you oh, sink the ship. You said that, okay. Yeah, to kind of keep the water from washing away the harbor or whatever. But it turns out that this is something that continues today. Uh, there are concrete sailboats that you can buy. This is a, a thing people do is they'll, instead of using fiberglass or steel, which you think. For the same reasons, because it's cheaper in the long run, you, less skilled labor, thus cheaper? It's, that's part of it. It's cheaper. Also, you can shape it very precisely. So while you can also do that with fiberglass, there's an, a disadvantage to fiberglass is that it's kind of fragile and it's very expensive. So let's say you want a 35-foot sloop. You can make one out of concrete that will look just like the fiberglass one for a whole lot less money, and it will be a lot more durable. And you don't care about storage as much if no. you're making a sloop, because what are you, 40, 50 miles off right. the coast? Right, and uh, sailboats are not designed for storage space. There's a ton of wasted space on any any kind of sailboat or any speedboat, uh, like those boats they use to tow uh, water skiers. Um, they're huge boats, but you can't even go inside them. You know, there's just a seat on this massive thing, so... 
for those type of applications, you don't really need um, a lot of inside space. So yes, this is a real thing. And in fact, uh, it became such a joke because as you said down south, it's as stupid as a cement ship. Right. Um, the uh, American Society of Engineers actually holds a concrete canoe contest every year where they have engineers try to come up with the fastest, best, biggest canoe made out of concrete. Thanks again for downloading and listening to the Weekly Curio. We've got show notes. We put it all in one feed. If you go to collegeofcuriosity.com, there's several podcasts there. You'll find our show notes on there. Yes, Weekly Curio. Until next week, we leave you with the answer to this week's puzzle. So the short version is you have five minutes to turn a black leather coat into a new black leather coat. What do you do? The answer is you go into the kitchen and you grab a banana. Eat the banana and wipe down the coat with the peel. It will make the leather shine like new. It will dye the light parts black, and it will actually help re-tan the leather with the chemicals in the banana peel. 